The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is the goal. We're in the middle of a series called Face to Face. The idea being what, what happens, what does it look like when he, we have a God encounter with the creator of the universe and the lover of our soul? What happens? What does it look like? What, how do we get to a place where that, that is our life? where we get to be Moses in this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. If I'm going to be honest with you, I think sometimes I look at speaking to God maybe as a boss, maybe as a police officer, maybe as a judge, but speaking face to face with God as a friend might not be highest on my list or my normal operating procedure. And as we explore these different guys in the Scripture, we're looking at a bunch of basically all-stars in the Bible and their face-to-face encounters with God. And when I say all-stars, they're all screwed up. (laughs) They're all, I mean, the best one out of all of them is a murderer, so that helps you, right? Okay, so they're all messed up. They all have issues. They all have stuff going on. But they're having face-to-face encounters with God. Today we're going to talk about Elijah. And it's going to be a topic no one can relate to because it's going to talk about fear and anxiety. Everybody here has got that down, Pat. We're we're okay with that stuff, right? No one here is retiring soon. No one here is dealing with career choices. No one here is parenting. No one here is married, (laughs) right? Today, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna just going to jump right into that. Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the scripture because he experiences, experiences the highest of highs, but also the lowest of lows. He's very relatable in that. The truth of, of today's talk is this. When hope seems lost, God still wants to meet us face to face. When hope seems lost, God still wants to meet us face to face. Because if I'm honest, when bad stuff is going on, when things are happening, when I'm retreating, when my heart is broken, I feel like the last thing is God wants to see me. This is not my best. This is not my Sunday best. This is not the, what I can offer. This is messy. God, I don't really want you to see me this way. You know, the ugly cry, with the snot coming down, all that stuff. I don't want, I don't want you to see this. This is when God is chasing us. When God is after us the most. When hope seems lost, God still wants to meet us face to face. Elijah's face-to-face encounter comes after one of the most spectacular pyrotechnic displays in the scripture. What is happening in 1 Kings 18 is Elijah has challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel, to a God showdown. Right? And he says, all right, guys, you think you're cool. Pretty sure my God's cooler. Let's do this thing. So if you guys are okay, then I'll, if you guys win, oh, your God's more powerful, blah, 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 blah. But if I win, well, then I win. And so what they do is they take turns sacrificing oxen. And Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, says, why don't you go first? And in their uh, experience of trying to get their God to light this uh, Oxen on fire, Elijah proceeds to make fun of them, 
um, goad them on, yell at them, and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. He's like, all right, fine, you had your turn. Elijah has an ox in there. Just to rub it in their face a little bit more, he pours like 10 buckets of water on the oxen. He says, God, will you light this, uh, this oxen on fire because you're so powerful and amazing? Fire falls from heaven, licks up the... Everything's burnt. Everything's licked up. Everything's gone. And he's just like, boom. It is a biblical mic drop that happens right there. And that's what goes on. Now, Elijah takes it to an extreme. He, start, he kills all those prophets. Um, but... Gets a little bloody real quick. Uh, but the whole idea was my this God, Yahweh, I am who I am, is more powerful than all the stuff that our country has prostituted itself to. Everyone's fallen in love with these Baal gods because they get to do kind of weird, weird worship acts. And they, they, they don't, they don't, they've married the wrong people and they do all this stuff. No, 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 that God isn't a God. Yahweh is the God. And so he does this, and imagine the, the excitement behind that. I prayed, and God just, fire. <laughs> right? I mean, I think I would be on cloud nine. I'd be on, it's a pretty intense experience. And so Elijah has it in his head, this is going to happen, and then everybody's going to be like, mm, I want that God. I want, I want what Elijah's serving. I, I can still smell the roast beef. I'm with that God. And so Elijah's kind of sitting there waiting, like, oh, they're all going to be like, oh, Elijah, you're so awesome. You, you lead us. You tell us, take, we're wrong. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then this woman gets involved. It's not the woman's fault. She's just part of the problem. <laughs> First Kings 19. This is one chapter later, right? Now, Ahab, told, Ahab, who's king, told Jezebel, his queen, everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel, instead of responding like they think he's going, she's going to, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, responds with, may the gods, these gods that you just whooped, but may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah is now public enemy number one. He is atop the hit list. Every post office has his picture in front of it. Everyone is chasing Elijah. It goes on. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He ran to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So what happens is he is hoping for this big revival in the land. He is hoping for this big change. He's hoping for this, this just change of heart because of this amazing display of God's power. And instead, there's even more backlash against him. And Elijah's response is this deep depression where he becomes suicidal. He runs away. He's left his servant. He's like, you go, you go here, go back to your family, whatever, go into the desert. He walks out there. He finds a broom bush. Doesn't sound very, uh, a broom bush, okay. He finds that, curls up underneath it and says, God, I just die. I just want to die. I just want to be over. In one chapter, he goes from the highest of highs, 
the actual mountaintop experience that we all talk about in church to the lowest of lows of wanting to, to be dead. He finds himself there. The story gets better. It starts out with this huge pyrotechnic display. But I think it, the story of God interacting with Elijah, even in his depression, in his suicidal thoughts, in the hurt, in the pain, in the frustration, is even more beautiful. In desperate times, when we run, God chases. In desperate times, when we run, God chases. We can't outrun God. So what's happening here? I should have had a map of Israel for you. If you have a Bible out, you can probably turn to the back in the map section, which was always my favorite in church when I was growing up. Uh, no offense, Dad, but that's <laughs> study those maps. But Mount Carmel, where this battle royale is happening, is at the very top of Israel. Judah is basically three-fourths of the way down of Israel. So he is, he's kind of made his way down uh, and run away from Jezebel, who's, who's trying to um, kill him because she's meanie. And so he's, he's run down there, and now he's out in the desert just wanting to die. And so that's, that's what's going on geographically here. But he is... He has run away from the place. Now think about this. In geographic terms, uh, the, the Baal gods that he was going against, the gods had certain areas and certain roles and certain things where they were in charge of. So, And kind of this aspect of even Yahweh worship at this time, God worship at this time, was that God is a God of, of here. If I just met him here, I want to stay there. Right? If we have an amazing worship experience here at the church, it's like, I, I don't want church to be over. I want, I want to stay here, forgetting the fact that God is God everywhere. Right? But Elijah, by running away, has kind of just said, you know, I'm even getting away from God. I've run away from God. I just want to separate myself. I'm so disappointed. I'm so heartbroken. I'm such in a bad spot. Does this make sense? And so he's, he's just, he's, he's taking away all that, and he's running away from that. Something I think we often do when we deal with pain, we deal with issues, we just kind of, we run away from it. We're hiding under our own broom bush, whatever that may be. That may be at a bar or in our basement or whatever, but we have our own broom bush. But in desperate times, when we run, here's the beauty. God chases. We're dealing with such a hard issue today. I wanted to bring a little levity to you, to you in this. So we're going to watch a movie clip, probably some of your favorite movies. I know it's my father's. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We don't have that movie? You're killing me, Kev. You're killing me. Who are those guys? Right? If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Who are those guys? And so they're running and they're going and they're going and going and going. Who are those guys? You know what those guys are? Who are those guys? I watched this scene like 50 times this week. Who are these guys? Over and over and over and over and over again. Who are these guys? And it's this idea of, of the, that posse chasing the guys over and over and over and over again. Chasing them through all kinds of stuff. Can you give me that waterfall clip by the time I'm there? Thank you. Because he's going, I don't have the other clip. Jared's going to be mad at me. Uh, so, um, anywho, uh, <laughs> we'll see the magic of what Kevin can actually do in 20 minutes. Uh, you can't get it. Um, there's a curse word in that, so he was supposed to edit that part out. Um, anyway, uh, who are these guys? And I think that intensity, that, that chasing after, 
It's got to be, it, it's, it's the way in which God chases us. That was interesting in Sundance and, and Butch Cassidy because they're running away from the law, but it's that same idea like, we're doing everything we can. We're killing horses. We're, and we intentionally, I think sometimes we choose even to run away from God that way. We don't want to hear it, God. I don't want to hear that you love me. I don't want to hear the judgment. I don't want to hear that I need to change my ways. I don't want to hear that I need to like not do that anymore. I don't want to hear that I need to live my life better. I don't, know, I don't, I don't want to love her better. I don't want to do that. But God continues to chase. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So what's going on here is uh, the angel of the Lord, so God is meeting him in this spot and saying, listen, I'm going to provide for your needs where you're at in this moment of desperation. I'm meeting your actual felt needs at this moment. You are hungry. You are thirsty. You are tired. I'm going to meet you here in this moment. And what happens to Elijah is he starts to run to Mount Horeb. It's a, it's a long journey. More, more, Mount Horeb is an actual another name for Mount Sinai. So he's going to the same place that we talked about last week where Moses met God with the burning bush. It's also the same mountain in which Moses gets the Ten Commandments. This is an important place. So he is headed there. He finds a cave. It's really beautiful. If you, they, um, they think they've figured out which mountain is Mount Sinai. Um, there's landmines all around it because it's a place where it gets attacked a lot. But they think they figured it out, and they were walking through caves and, and crawling through caves, and they found Bronze Age etchings in, the si- in these, uh, these mines there of um, just... Two letters, E-L, which is L, and it's Elohim, which is Lord, um, which we find all throughout the Bible. And they think that it could have been Hebrew slaves crying out to God in their slavery in these mines at Mount Sinai. What, and that brings up a whole other thought. The moment, the place in which these people were mining out precious minerals for someone else became the mountain where God meets them. Now think about that. In the lowest of lows, think about being a Bronze Age slave in a cave two feet wide crawling around, and this is your day. Bodies were just left in there. If you died there, they just pushed you over to the corner, and they walked out. And so out of the desperation in these darkest pits of life, people are just, I'm tired of chiseling out bronze or whatever I'm chiseling. I'm chiseling out, God, save me. And this is the same place that God meets them with the burning bush, that God meets him with the Ten Commandments, that God meets Elijah, hides him into the face. Isn't that beautiful to think about the symmetry in that? And the darkest and the hardest is where God finds us. In desperate times, God provides. In desperate times, God provides. I think this is 
He provides this food, this bread. Wouldn't it be amazing to wake up and know that God cooked your dinner? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I'm going to savor this? <laughs> so, I don't know if it smells, you know, it tastes like a Hawaiian sweet roll or what, you know, whatever that was. I don't know, but it's amazing to think about that God provides. And if we talked, uh, took time to tell stories of it, it probably could tell you stories, and people would tell us stories of God providing for you when that bill was due or this was happening. I remember, I remember this. I was four or five years old in California, and uh, all of a sudden, all this produce would just show up on our front doorstep. It'd be the best strawberries you ever ate and all this stuff because we lived in like the, the beautiful fruit basket of, of California. But all of a sudden, all this food would just magically appear. And maybe you've been recipients of that. And maybe you've been givers of that. But in desperate times, God provides. And the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah's still cranky. He says, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In desperate times, Elijah, and I think we need to do this too, gets real. There is no pretenses in this, right? Elijah's like, I don't even care that you're God Almighty. They're trying to kill me. Right? They don't, he's, he's done. He's done. He's like, I'm already, I'm, I'm already suicidal. It was a matter of God's, maybe he's trying to get a lightning bolt. I don't know what's going on, but he is not, you could feel the anguish. There's no pretenses. And sometimes I think when we start praying to God, even in our most desperate times, we're like, oh God, thou art the greatest, you know, we become a lispy British person. And we put all these, we pray, we're not ourselves. We put all this stuff there. And God's like, no, no, no. Why are you here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Larry? Eric, why are you really here? And it's almost, it's like, I'm going to choose to really tell you, God, they're trying to kill me. It's bad. Everything is terrible. Now I've gotten on Elijah before when I've read read this scripture about being whiny, but I think he kind of, I mean, being whiny when people are trying to kill you, it's okay. Uh, but I thought this point of Elijah gets real in desperation. And some of us are still trying to be good Christian people and still oh, have our halo on that we, we, we protect that more than our real heart cry of coming in contact with God. Desperate times, we need to get real with God. And then the Lord said to him, Actually, I'll just read a lot to you. Well, never mind. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nim- Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, from Abel uh, Mahaloah to succeed you as prophet. It's a good, good times here, right? You know, hey. Um, <laughs> See, what, I, what I've always done, this is a, this real talk. You, this is a reason people don't read the scripture. I don't, I don't know. Can I buy a vowel? You know, what, what are you doing? 
Just read it fast and go. It doesn't matter. God, will, God, God, God's like, I, I know. I named them. It's weird. I apologize. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Just go. Just go through it. Don't get. Don't get uh, frustrated with it. Just keep on going. So anyway, uh, Jehu will put to death those who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death and who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. I have kissed these statues. So what God has done in this moment is said, listen, you are not alone. You are on this crusade to rid people of the Baal and Astra poles. I get it. Awesome. But here, I want you to anoint people who are going to help you, people of power, people of sustenance who are going to come alongside you. They are there. Go do this. And then he says, I, you are not alone, Elisha. There's 7,000 that are with you. You are not alone. I love it because not only does he submit to Elisha, because I, I know when you are caught in depression, you're caught in, you just feel so isolated. You feel like when you're under your broom bush, you really feel like you're under your broom bush, right? But God is saying, no, 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 no. You got to get up. I'm giving you a mission and go do something. And you're not alone. He gives him a mission out of this. Out of the depths of despair, he says, go, Elijah, go, go. I know everything you've been about. I know everything that's happened to you. I, never, I know all your hurts. I know all your struggles. I want you to go. A couple of things to pull from this face-to-face encounter with God. Face-to-face with God means admitting you don't have all the answers. I like to have answers. You like to have answers? I like, I like playing Jeopardy and getting the whole row right, right? You're like, mm-hmm, I'm smart. Alex Trebek owes me some money, right? <laughs> Face-to-face with God means admitting you don't have all the answers. In 18, Elijah is pretty sure of himself. Actually, he's probably about one of the most cocky prophets there's ever been in this moment. When he's calling fire to heaven, he's like, oh, I got you. In verse 19, he is, or chapter 19, he is humbled because it didn't work the way he thought it was going to work. His first step of coming to face-to-face with God and having this moment change the direction of his life is admitting he didn't have all the answers. It's one for us as well. Face-to-face with God means admitting you need others. Oh, I'm an only child. I could do it myself. I said it this morning. Jimmy tried to help me. I said, I do it myself. Admitting you need others. So hard. But God brings 7,000 along to walk with him. It sets Elijah up in a place where he's going to start teaching other prophets, changing a generation. Face-to-face with God means admitting you need others. And then finally, face-to-face with God means taking a different action. Do you have that other video for me? Okay. Face-to-face with God means taking a different action. And so back to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If you, if you, if you go to YouTube, you can find these two really easily. Just Google, who are these guys? Butch Cassidy, and Google uh, Waterfall Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and you will get exactly what I'm saying, and you'll laugh. But for those of you who have seen the movie 800 times, 
then you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. So the, the guys, who are these guys, have chased them to a cliff with a waterfall. And they're there on the waterfall, and they're there on the side, and um, uh, the Sundance kid is like the baddest of the bad type dude. He is the best shooter. He's the quickest gun in the West. He's got it all going on. And these men are coming. He's like, I can take him, basically is the idea. I can take him. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? I can take him. No, 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 we can't, we can't take him. I can take him. Let's just jump in the waterfall. No. See, you guys already know it. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't swim. He'd rather face a death by these guys hanging him if they arrest him, bullets if they shoot him, than jumping into the unknown, than doing something different. And I think sometimes for us, we'd rather do what we know than change anything. We'd rather go back through our own behaviors, our own routines, our own comfort spots, as uncomfortable as they may be, than changing what we're doing and doing a different action. It may not require a huge action. It may require a small one. It may require jumping off into a waterfall. It may not. Today, some of you are hidden under a broom bush. Don't make the mistake of staying there. There isn't hope, there isn't future there. You are in a prime place for the journey of a lifetime. You are in the prime place to come in contact with a God, with God like never before. The very thing that threatens to crush you can be your greatest victory. Face to face with God means admitting that you don't have all the answers. It means admitting you need others. And it means taking a different action. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I know I've needed this pounded into my head before. As a Christian, someone who's gone through deep and dark places, but this morning, wherever you're at, I want to invite you to come face to face with God. This morning, you would humble yourself. The band's going to come up and play You Know Me Again. That when they're singing this song, you know me, every detail of my life, that we would pray, that we would think, God, will you meet me here in this pain? Will you meet me in this moment? Pray with me. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. God, I ask you to redeem me. I ask you to redeem us. God, right here, right now, I lay this pain at your feet. I lay my hurt. I lay my fear here. I want to walk away from it. I want you to take it. I can't deal with it anymore. Will you take this disappointment? God, I am awed by the fact that you know me, that you love me, that you care for me. Lord, will you redeem me? Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for everlasting life in you. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for heaven. 
I know I don't deserve it, God, but thank you for it. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen.